0: This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com writingexcuses. Season 12, episode
1: 33. This is Writing Excuses, how to be brief yet powerful.
0: Fifteen minutes long.
2: Because you're in a hurry.
1: And we're not that smart. <laughs> I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Marianne. And I'm Wesley. And we're talking about brevity, which is, of course, the thing I excel at doing. I still remain so proud and I, smug. I have written a short story. I'm writing another one right now. I just told you about it I in the know, break. Mm-hmm. I
0: know. I know. But... 4,000 One words. short
1: story in, in your whole career? I've written one short story in my whole career, yes. yes. All right.
0: And I mm-hmm. taught him to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I,
1: I have written none so far. Mm-hmm. So Well, we're going to be listening to Mary and Marianne talk about <laughs> this. <laughs> <laughs> but, so. Though it's not just about short stories. It's how to, how to stick a scene and, you know, get an idea across in a brief number of words.
0: Yeah, brief, and, and it, it is something that I have used in novel form as well. For me, what I find uh, when, when people are conceiving uh, an, of an idea, particularly people who are going from novels to short fiction, they just try to put too much into it. And you can't handle all of those things uh, with the, the sensitivity that they deserve when you've got so many pieces. And that, that's often when you wind up with something that feels bloated or, or flat. So the thing for me is to really hone in on what it is you want to be telling, uh, to, to narrow down, like, can I, can I roll these characters together? Do I need to move to a new scenic location? And this is in the conception phase where I think about what it is that I really want the story to be about and try to add nothing else to that core idea.
2: I think... My best way of thinking about this, and I, you know, I, I am someone who started with poetry, which I wrote for two years, then started writing short fiction and I tended to write very short pieces about a thousand words long. And, um, I had to slowly learn how to add, get my pieces up to 5,000 words. Then my short stories eventually now tend to be more like eight to 10,000 and I'm, I'm working on making the shift to novels, um, my early drafts look like a play because I start with, here is my character in a very classic form. What do they want? What is in their way, right? They're trying to get to some goal. Um, Nicola Griffith, actually, I remember, told us in Clarion that if your character wants something badly, it almost doesn't matter what it is they want because the reader will empathize with this desire for something that they want badly, right? It's, it's sort of instant reader Um, identification so they want it they're taking action to try to get it and there are obstacles that they have to overcome that's my core and I tend to go from there to working out the dialogue in my head and I lay down the dialogue who are the usually it's people that are in their way um, and in one who have their own goals and their own things that they want badly so I lay down the dialogue and I don't I don't put in a lot more than that, right? So I put in after that whatever setting description is necessary, um, and then I'm done.
3: So, so, so for me, like, like early on in my career, I come from a, a like a martial arts stuntman background. So when you like when you do choreography, you have very specific movements, timing, pacing. Everything's very well laid out. So I wrote that way. So I would have long elegant fight scenes that were frankly pretty boring because what's good on what's good visually isn't always good on paper and my agent was like you know what Lee childs okay see what it means to be brief like to really like, make a scene concise and powerful so i read some lee childs where where i would have like a three-page fight scene he he would have an emotional buildup, and then he would headbutt the guy and that would be his fight scene <laughs> And he just nailed the focus down to just that one headbutt and the effects of the headbutt, and it was so much better that way. So that's kind of an example I use a lot for, for when it comes to action scenes.
2: Actually, Hemingway's fight scenes kind of look like that too. Yeah, and I, I think that the, the key thing that
0: that you're both talking about the the emotional buildup, um, that the the thing that they want that one of the things that the really key things for for brevity. Is making sure that the reader understands what is at stake, that there is an emotional connection between the reader and the character, and the character and the action that they need to take. A lot of times, we we have what is at stake be something fairly generic, like they might die. This is this is a this is something that is a, a stake for everybody. It's not specific to that character. So something that is more specific to them would be like. You know, if your character is a cellist, they might lose their their uh, their fingers. That is a very specific fear for a cellist, um, and it you know it's something that might trouble anybody. But it comes with something very very specific, and that for me, uh, when I'm looking at stakes, it's not what is going to happen. You know, what is the thing? It's what is the consequence of that? What is the consequence of failure? And that, I think, can be something that makes brief scenes really, really powerful is to, to help the reader understand that.
1: That's excellent. Um, I really like how we're going on this topic. And as you were talking, Wes, I was realizing I feel like Lives of Tao had really brief, powerful scenes all the way through it. Um, you say you don't write short stories, but I'm, I'm thinking just of the, of the prologue. I don't know if it's prologue or chapter one. Um, where you basically introduce what the entire plot is going to be by having the previous um, bearer of Tau die, and you find the new bearer, and they're a slovenly uh, kind of nerdy guy. And you're like, I'm, this book is going to be about this guy becoming like that guy was at the end. And you nailed that, and it was only like 2,000 words or something. Thank you. Well, I mean, I killed everybody's favorite character in, in the first yes. chapter, yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you know, you know, it, it works. Yeah. It, it's good. But brevity can be about having that, nailing that scene at, at the beginning, I think, because Robert Jordan did this too. And you do not think of Robert Jordan for brevity.
2: Yeah. 14 book series.
1: <laughs> but a lot of people's favorite scene from the series is the prologue to the first book, which is a short piece which shows a powerful moment where a man goes crazy and has killed his family, realizes what he's done, and then creates a mountain out of his anguish and buries himself in it, right?
2: I might point at something similar, actually. The prologue to Tigana by Guy Gabriel oh, yeah. Kay mm-hmm. is one of my favorite. I mean, I just, Kay is, Kay is one of my favorite genre writers when I think about. What do I aspire to as a writer? It's a cross between the minimalism of Alice Munro and the lyricism of guy Gabriel Kay. If I could meld those two, I would die happy. Um, but for, in, for, after you've
0: wrote a lot of fiction, please. I would write a lot of fiction <laughs> yes.
2: first. Well, no, my other goal is to be like Asimov and write 100 books, right? So But the, But Kay has this prologue in Tagana, which is just this little battlefield scene that is short. It is brutally emotional. Um, it completely catches you up into the story in a, in a few pages. Even if you don't read anything else of his, you just read that prologue. Um, you will, it'll teach you a lot about power in a short space. And then it actually ends up super important at the end of the book, which is amazing. It's like a tour de force.
1: My favorite uh, single volume epic fantasy ever written is Tigana. Uh, it's uh, brilliant. Let's go ahead and stop. Oh, you've got a few things and we'll stop.
0: Um, oh, I was just going to say that, that one of the things that, that we're talking about here is, is a phenomenon that you see in television and film all the time, which is the cold open. Yes. And so just taking a, taking a look at the openings of James Bond films, those are brief but powerful. Uh, that, that was all I was going to – I try to keep that brief.
1: Let's, start, <laughs> or let's stop for our book of the week, which we have promoted before. But we're going to do it again cuz the paperback's coming out. It is Ghost Talkers.
0: Yay. So, uh, Ghost Wait, Talkers. is no, I'm going to it. Is a book that I wrote that Brandon is going to talk about I and wanna I'm going to it. Fine, you I go. You, promo you do
1: it. Because um, I can't remember <laughs> if last time we promoted it if I had listened to the audiobook of it. Oh. Cuz I listened to the audiobook of it and you know, you know that Mary reads her own books, right? Uh, at, for the audiobooks, but listening to it is a very special experience. It feels like Mary has come over to your house and is reading you a bedtime story. That is what it (laughs) feels, because I know Mary, and you guys know Mary, listening to her, it really feels like your friend is there uh, reading you her story. And um, I love the story anyway, but it came alive in a way I had never uh, imagined it would, having Mary read it to me. Uh, She is an excellent voice actor and is an excellent book, and you combine the two of them, and it's it's just brilliant. If you haven't read it, it is what would happen if... Um, England had a force of mediums in World War I, and their job was to have the spirits of, the, um, of dead soldiers report into them before they passed to the great beyond. And the main character, sir, uh, um, soldiers start reporting to her, one in uh, particular who was killed um, by someone wearing a british uniform so there's a spy and so it's a spy thriller where she is trying to find this by tracking um ghosts and things it's just super cool and mary will read it to you so go get the audiobook of ghost talkers it is a fantastic book
0: or the paperback which just came out and for those of you not watching the uh, video feed i am bright red right now
1: Hmm. there's a video feed Yes, yes.
0: Oh, well, you didn't know that? Yeah. Ah. yeah. It's actually coming
1: from your computer right now, pointed at you. We just <laughs> put it up. I should have yeah. gotten dressed today. <laughs> All right, so there's a weird thing I wanted to ask here during this podcast that I don't know if there will be much time for, but how do you come up with a title Particularly for uh, short stories,
0: because short stories oh, seem to have these brilliant titles. shorts fiction is so much easier for me to title than oh, novels, really? okay yeah, because novels you you need a single word mm-hmm. or, or fairly short word every now and then you see a novel that has something like you know the yeah. curious incident of the dog in the nighttime, but most of the time it's it 's one or two words right and short fiction the thing about a short fiction title is that it is doing part of the the lifting of the story. Um it's it is the frame of the story and you can get longer with it. Uh so it's for me much easier to title okay. a short fiction piece of short fiction.
2: Um it's kind of funny because I've been doing one-word short fiction titles. Ah. Um but, but I think you're right. There is a little more leeway. My my favorite title, short fiction title is Time Considered as a Helix of Semi Precious Stones, which is a Chip Delaney. Title See, to a really These short story writers
1: like that, and you know, the all, I have no mouth, but I and must it's, scream. It's a great one. Like these short story titles. Love is a
2: plan, the plan is death.
1: Yeah. You, you can't put that on a book cover, you know? No. They, they just kick me in the face with how awesome they yeah. are. And I, it, I really think it is short fiction writers knowing how to squeeze the most out of their words. Um, And writing something that you say, I just have to read this. I absolutely have to read it.
2: That said, when I'm stuck, I will usually try to lift a title out of the story. Okay. I'll look look for a resonant phrase.
0: Yeah, my my hack when I'm stuck is to go to a Shakespeare database Mm -hmm. and type in a thematic word and then look for a quote. Um, I'll do that on novels, too, but it's harder because I have to pick, like, one or two words uh, and – uh, actually, Calculating Stars and Faded Sky are both out of Shakespeare. Um, oh, are they? Yeah, they're such good titles for the for the books. Took too. forever, mm. um, but and and really, the novels took me like multiple iterations. Short stories, I can just title. Mm. Okay.
1: Um, how can you evoke a larger world
0: through just showing the highlights? Uh, this is one of my favorite tricks. Mm-hmm. Um, you're specific about one single thing. Um, So uh, dates. Dates are really useful. Uh, Like if you're writing, I have written epic short fiction. Mm -hmm. Um, And so rather than saying, oh, this happened 50 years or 100 years ago, I said, this happened in the time before the Battle of the Seven Red Armies. And that immediately says that there are, you know. Right, that that evokes a world. That's
1: that's a great example. Um.
2: I use food a lot, I think. Yeah. You know, I think food carries so much weight. It's, it's, a, I mean, it's a sort of easy way to get the reader caught up and engaged because you get hungry reading about mouth-watering descriptions of food. Um, but, you know, if I, if I tell you that this character is making chai, that, that just brings a whole weight of cultural context with it. Right? It's not just tea. It is chai, and that is a specific thing. Um, and if they linger on the cardamom and the cinnamon and the cloves and so on, then um, that's going to add more detail. Now I want chai. I'm S- drinking some right now. <sighs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> so does it change um, the nature of your story when you're working on it, knowing that someone might read it, will probably read it in one sitting, as opposed to multiple sittings? Uh, Mary, when you write a short story, does that affect it at all? Or-
0: yeah, yeah. Um- I mean, it probably at some point did. Um, one of the—it the, it affects the way I interact with my readers in that I, I ask them specifically not to read the story more than once um, because I know that most most readers will in fact only read it once. Uh, there's a handful of people that read it multiple times and I would like it to stand up for that, stand up to that. But what it means— for me, and this is actually another place where uh, being an audiobook narrator comes back in. With audiobooks, you can't back up easily and mm. re-listen to something. So if, if a detail goes past and you miss it, then it, it's just gone. Uh, so that means that when I'm doing my short fiction, if there's something that is plot-specific, um, even in brief forms, it means that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tend to break If I really want the reader to see it, I'm going to tend to break it out into its own paragraph, so that it, um, so that they have a pause, so that they can really see it. Uh, So a lot of times, I guess it affects the way I I paragraph and and handle pacing more than it does anything else. Okay.
1: So, how can you really make something memorable? I think we'll end on this note. What is it that makes a piece of fiction a moment in a piece of fiction? really memorable. So
2: can I start yeah. from the opposite? Yeah, go for it. Which is, you know, when I'm editing for an anthology or I'm reading my students' work, you know, a lot of the stories are competent but forgettable. Yes. Right? So that's like the vast majority, in fact, of what I get are, are you know, like I use, I use a grading scale when I'm editing anthologies. So I use, you know, as I'm reading, I'm marking them as A, B, C, D because I'm from academia and so on. And you would think that most would be bad but no most of them are B stories like almost everything i get is a solid b um it's fine but that's all it is it's fine right and so i think one mistake that i see a lot of is that the characters are generic that's that's like the you know a guy walks into a bar for my college student stories right and i don't know anything about the guy i don't know like um, and this is one of the reasons why I tend to emphasize character and, and in fact, writing out of identity, um, because it matters if this guy is a, you know, Polish-American, fourth generation, you know, parents changed their name when they came over, or great-grandparents changed their name, and, you know, that's all going—you know, and maybe his parents are heavily Catholic, but he's left the church. Like, all of that is— all of that is going to influence how he sees the world. And, you know, if what he's doing, he's walking into the bar and he's hitting on the pretty girl sitting at the bar. I want to see all of that cultural history in the words he chooses to use and in his approach and how he, you know, how, how his body language um, changes as he walks up to her.
3: I, mean, I think it's more like the, the emotional connection that the reader has with the story. That That's kind of what lingers after they finish a story is, you know, I'll, I'll based off of your example, like, uh, if a reader is reading the story and he and, and the guy is flaming out trying to hit on the bartender you know, and the reader goes, man, that has happened to me so many times where, <laughs> like, I've asked this pretty girl and it's just, I can tell there's dead space between us and I don't know how to extract myself from the situation. This is the worst day ever. Mm-hmm. Um, that, is what is memorable? For, no, for me as as a reader.
2: Yeah, no, I would I would agree with that. I guess I I guess I just feel like I don't know. I feel like students often they're trying to reach for something universal like heartbreak, and I think they generalize to get to the universal where what they should be doing is particularizing. Mm.
0: Yeah, that was something that uh, on last season uh, Desiree Birch was on. And she, she talked about uh, the more specific you are, the more universal yeah.
2: it becomes. Yeah,
0: that was a great episode. It's a really
2: counterintuitive um, thing, but I think it's so true.
1: I think it's 100% true. It's one of these – there's a few things like this in fiction that, that are counterintuitive, but if you read them, they're true. Um, I, the fact that often short bursts, short uh, sentences can read slower than mm-hmm. long sentences is something people don't quite pick up on, but you stop at each of those short sentences and – You read them and you think, oh, something important is happening. Um, This has been a really great discussion. I'm actually going to have to call it here, um, but Mary has some homework for us.
0: Yes. What I want you to do is we're going to start from a concept. This is a thing that I wind up doing, um, weirdly. I have typewriters and I will set up at a convention and I will sit down and I will write a short fiction, piece of short fiction on demand. Uh, So what I want you to do is basically this. You're going to pick a character, an object, and a genre, and then you're going to write 250 words, and that 250 only words— Only 250. Only 250 words, one page. And that needs to have a beginning, a middle, and an end, which means, just in case you're thinking about this already, that means that it is one try-fail cycle, Um. So one character, one object, one location. Now, if you want to bring in another character, that's fine. But be aware that every time you add another character, those are more words that you need to handle that person.
1: Awesome. Uh, That sounds really hard.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a good homework exercise for Brandon. (laughs) Yes.
1: This has been Writing Excuses. I'm out of excuses. Now I'll go write.
0: Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production. Jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of